You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. At the Advent, we have a heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ and a heart for those who haven't heard it yet. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into this place to open the eyes of our hearts that we might behold Jesus and turn to him and live. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Romans 8.1 is a magisterial scripture verse here at the Advent. Uh, the wife of one of my predecessors desires this first verse from the 8th chapter of Romans Now I've broken the microphone. She desires that that first verse in the 8th chapter of Romans to be inscribed on her tombstone. And it's oft quoted around here. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And rightfully so. However, we don't often look beyond verse 1 to see how Paul begins to unpack what it means that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. How can this be? How can one live in freedom from judgment? Indeed, how does one live? And so this morning, let us draw our attention particularly to verses 5 through 8 here in chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul is not describing here two different kinds of Christians. Uh, Oftentimes people talk about Christians in categories as if this person is a spiritual Christian and this person is a carnal, fleshly Christian. Well, the Bible doesn't differentiate. You are either a Christian or you are not. In fact, we see here that Paul says that what he's talking about, those in the spirit, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who are in the flesh, those who do not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he differentiates the two, and the twain shall never meet. And it might be easiest for us this morning to start with what it means to be in the flesh in order to better understand what it means to be in the Spirit. Well, most of us think when we begin to talk about the flesh that those sins that we might even go so far as to call sexual sins or more obvious sins. But actually what Paul is doing here is he's painting a much broader picture for us to say this is what it means to live in the flesh and to set your mind on things of the flesh. And how does this tend to manifest itself in the lives of those who are in the flesh? Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, he says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Same kind of language. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Sounds like Romans 7, doesn't it? 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. And things like these I warn you against. And then he goes on to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. But you see, Paul's not saying that here are some specific things uh, that indicate uh, the life of the flesh, but actually he paints this big picture of what it looks like to be in the flesh, to be fleshly minded. And what it looks like, in a word, is not to be concentrating on sins, the manifestation of sins, but those who are in the flesh because they cannot please God. It means that their mind is set exclusively on things like this. Uh, They can't think outside of themselves. In fact, if you want to put it in a word, those who are in the flesh are living life as if God didn't exist. They live their lives completely uh, devoid of any notion that their purpose in life is any bigger than their self-satisfaction. And these are not, I'm not talking about God in a generic sense, a higher power or being, but the assurance that comes by the person and work of Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And so this directive of living life in the flesh and to, quite frankly, is extreme because Paul uses language like they're dead. Uh, They actually don't even know that they're living life in such a way they're, uh, they don't even know what they're doing. They're directed in one direction and don't know otherwise. This blindness is manifest in our world because even when Jesus Christ is placed right before them, they can't see him for who he is. William Wilberforce, the great uh, politician in England in the latter part of the 18th century, who helped abolish the slave trade in the British Empire, uh, was close friends with William Pitt the Younger, the youngest man to ever become Prime Minister of Great Britain. And they both grew up together, they went to the same schools together, they grew up in the church together. And where Wilberforce had a vibrant living faith in Jesus Christ, he wasn't sure whether Pitt did or not. I mean, Pitt went through the motions of anybody who lived in the latter part of the 18th century in England, but Wilberforce was concerned about his friend's soul. And so what he wanted to do was to get Pitt to come here, a preacher in London by the name of Richard Cecil. And Richard Cecil was the premier evangelical preacher in London. Lots of people came to know the Lord through his ministry. And so finally, after wearing him down, Pitt finally said to Wilberforce, fine, I'll go. I'll go. And that night, Wilberforce said, Cecil was in his finest form. Uh, He was articulate. He was winsome. uh, He couldn't have been clearer in his message. And Wilberforce was just caught up in it and couldn't wait for the service to be over so that he could talk to his friend Pitt. And as they were walking away from the church, Wilberforce asked Pitt, what did you think? And Pitt said, I didn't understand a word that man said. Well, what ravished the heart of Wilberforce when Jesus Christ was held up. Wilberforce was enthralled with this gospel message of of a love that loved even him, a sinner, and that he was saved by grace 
drove Pitt to confusion and boredom. Indeed, that night when it came to William Pitt, Richard Cecil might as well have been preaching to a dead man. In our own tradition, we hear people often talk about the Paschal Mystery. And that is the final week of Jesus' life, his his death and his uh, resurrection and victory over the grave. Uh, But friends, to those of us who are believers, it's not a mystery. It's not veiled to us. But it is veiled to those who have their minds set upon the flesh, who are still dead in their sins and in their trespasses. Now, before we get to a place where we think, well, gosh, Andrew, you went through that list in Galatians 5, and I'm a Christian, and I I kind of identify with some of those things. Some of those are some of my favorite sins. So what does it mean, then, to be in the Spirit, to set our minds on the Spirit? Well, I do think uh, that there's obviously a place in our lives to be said about those things that we compartmentalize that need to be drawn back into the presence of God's Spirit, those dark, unevangelized continents of our hearts, those no-go areas of our soul that we want Jesus to have nothing to do with. And sometimes this comes out rather involuntarily. And this is just a little bit of unsolicited advice. Do not tell your pastor that you're excited to see the latest episode of House of Cards or Orange is the New Black, unless it's in the context of confessing sin. Uh, I'm amazed by the stuff that we are willing uh, to watch on the television and not have our hearts convicted by it. Uh, But that's the nature of the beast because we know from Romans 7, Paul tells us that the very thing that we want to do, we find ourselves incapable of doing. And the thing uh, that that we don't want to do is exactly what we find ourselves doing. And so, yes, as Christians, we struggle, but that's just it. The person who's in the flesh doesn't struggle. They don't know the difference. They walk away from Richard Cecil's sermon whistling, confused and bored, but whistling nonetheless, still dead. A mark of the Christian that the Spirit is alive and well in your life is that you're struggling with it. Uh, that your eyes are open, that you actually want to direct your heart and mind to the things of the Spirit. And I'm not immune from this. Uh, I see this manifested uh, in my life when I go to the airport. You know, when they begin the boarding process there at the gate, everybody gets up and gathers around the gate as if we're afraid the plane might leave. It might leave without us. Now, of course, that's not why we do that. Why do we do that? Because we don't want anyone getting on the plane before they're supposed to. Hey, hey, uh, hey, zone five, you just cool it for a minute. Because I'm zone three, and they haven't even called zone three, and I'm definitely getting on before you do. I mean, even this whole, I mean, how self-interested can you actually be? Well, for me, pretty self-interested. Not minding the spirit at all, but thinking of my own self. But again, I'm under conviction. Well, what does this look like? Well, I think of the life of St. Patrick. St. Patrick, when he was 16 years old, was working at his family's farm in Britain when he was kidnapped and brought into slavery in Ireland, where he was kept captive for six years. And he made his way 200 miles, escaped after six years of slavery. He escaped 200 miles to a seaport where he caught a boat and made his way back to Britain and then walked for over a month to get back to where his home was. 
And then he began to really study the Bible. He began to pray. And he ultimately went back to Ireland to evangelize the very people who took him into bondage. That's crazy. That makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, the moment I got out of Ireland, I would have knocked the dust off my sandals and said, goodbye, turkeys. Uh, In fact, I would hold animosity in my heart. But what happens is when Jesus Christ gets a hold of your life, all of a sudden you undergo this mind transformation where all of a sudden something like that doesn't seem so crazy. Uh, Patrick really had no choice but to go back and share the gospel with the people who had ruined his life. But even that was not enough to set his heart against him because he knew his own brokenness. He knew that spiritually, like all of us, we walk with a limp. And so he went back to evangelize his captors. In our own lives, it's not simply a matter of do this. Seek seek out the mind of the Spirit. Set your mind on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. But it's not that easy to just stop setting your mind on the flesh. Your affection for the things of the flesh must be replaced by a different object of affection. You don't rid yourself of idolatry, worshiping a false god, by simply toppling it from its pedestal. Something has to replace it. Or someone has to replace it. Because if you're just trying to remove it from your life, you're relying on the weak arm of the flesh to do that. But actually something has to distract you. Something has to take hold of your affections in the same way that idol did. And that's exactly what it means to have Jesus Christ at the center of our lives. And that may not seem that obvious to us. But I think of my friend who uh, was, wanted to do an interview with someone who was a Christian but also serving uh, in, uh, in government. And so uh, my friend John, uh, I set up with my friend Brian, uh, who sits in the House of Lords in uh, London. And uh, Brian went to, I mean, uh, John went to go meet uh, with Brian, called him up and said, uh, I'd like to grab a cup of coffee. And Brian said, I'll do one better. Why don't you come by the Palace of Westminster and we'll have lunch in the House of Lords dining room and then I'll show you around. And John went in and the guards stood at attention. They had his name and he walked in and it's such an overwhelming space. And they had their lunch and had the conversation about Christians and government. And then Brian took John into the House of Lords, which actually is a very small space. You can't possibly fit everybody in it. Uh, But what really catches your eye when you walk in is this throne that sits above the House of Lords. And Brian said to John, now that's where the Queen sits when she comes to address uh, Parliament. And with uh, a Cheshire cat grin, uh, John said to Brian, hey, would you mind taking my picture while I crawl up on the throne? Well, Brian didn't laugh. It wasn't funny to to him. Uh, And of course, John was just joking. uh, Because how mortifying would it be, one, for my friend to crawl up on the throne, but two, what if somebody walked in and saw him? It would be terribly embarrassing. And yet, spiritually speaking, we have no problem assuming the throne of our lives that is not ours. We're not at all embarrassed by trying to take control of our own lives. 
Uh, And yet the throne of our lives belongs to the Lord Jesus. And it's not just enough for us to vacate it. Somebody else has to step up onto the throne. And that someone is Jesus Christ. And it's a struggle. According to Paul here, there is some good news in it. And that is that those who are in Christ are not at enmity with God. God only knows two kinds of people, the living and the dead. There are no gradations. There are not people who are just kind of dead and people who are real dead. And there are not people who are kind of living or really living. There are the dead and that there are the living. There are those who have died to sin and have been made alive in Christ. And there are those who remain dead in their sins and trespasses. But for those of us who are in Christ, who have had the eyes of our hearts open to who he is, uh, we don't, we're not born children of God. It doesn't come to us naturally, John 1 says. But we're actually children by, through grace by adoption, Paul would say in Romans. That we're adopted, that our eyes have to be open, and it's not some self-realization, but God from outside of us comes into the human equation and saves us from ourselves and removes us from the throne of our lives. And so we're not talking about different kinds of Christians here but those who believe and those who do not. Those who are alive and those who are dead. Those who are in the spirit and those who are in the flesh. Now, if you're a believer this morning and you say, well, Andrew, I thank you for acknowledging the struggle, but know this, if the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you, you have life within you. As fainting as it may be, I remember once at someone's house, I was admiring how beautiful their flowers were. And then it wasn't until I got up real close and touched them that I realized they were artificial. You might be a wilting flower this morning. You might be ready to completely topple and fall over. But you are still more alive than the most beautiful of artificial flowers. As we read in Matthew's gospel, that we pray that the Holy Spirit would... Pour the gospel of Jesus Christ into your life so that you might grow, that you might blossom, that you might bloom, and that you might become what God has called you to be. But no matter how badly you're wilting, you still have life within you. You may feel as if you've wandered far afield, but God's spirit lives within you and there is no condemnation. If you're not a believer this morning and have found what I have said particularly distressing, This is a good sign. If you've been able to comprehend what it is I am saying, then that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, even now, drawing you to faith in Jesus Christ. If, however, you are completely confused and bored, my prayer is that God would open the eyes of your heart, that you might behold Jesus in all of his love and mercy for sinners. This morning, my friends, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And we who are in the Spirit, by God's grace, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We're not dead, yet we've been called to new life and have been given that new life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. At the Advent, we have a heart for those who've been burned by the church and a heart for the city of Birmingham. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.